So thankful you're here. You know, I want to tell you something about our Bible reading this week that uh, you might, uh, I just need to mention. You'll, you'll see this week there, there's a, a passage of Scripture that you'll um, be challenged to read multiple times this week. That's not a misprint. As we prepare over the next four weeks for Easter, uh, one of the things that we thought would be helpful for us is to really meditate on the passage uh, about the resurrection that we'll be um, encountering. So over the next four weeks, starting next week, we're going to be looking at four post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And so meditating on that passage multiple times this week, um, I think will help us. So I just wanted you to be aware of that. If you have your Bibles today, we're in uh, Mark chapter 13. And uh, we're we're ending today this series on the extraordinary acts of God. And and the Bible's full of some extraordinary moments that God moved. But the Bible speaks of a moment that is yet to come that is going to be truly extraordinary. And Mark 13 is, is that passage. It's the second coming of Christ. Now, I grew up at a, at a very evangelistic church, and, and it was in, uh, I don't know if you remember, if you were alive in the late 70s uh, or early 80s, there was that uh, movie that went around to all the churches about the second coming of Christ. I don't know if you saw that. But, man, my church, man, we showed it all the time. And so there's an element of the second coming of Christ, both the people that, that know Christ and people that don't know Christ, they're, they're fearful of that moment. I mean, I was. I remember uh, one time I came home from school and, uh, and nobody was home. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've been left behind. And I was so nervous. And then I saw my brother and I was like, oh no, you've been left behind too. Um, because I knew him and I thought, man, he ain't making it. So, so I thought, man, we're both left behind. I thought I was better than you. But, um, but um, you know, when it comes to the second coming, a lot of times Christians are fearful. We need to let the Bible shape our thinking. Let's recognize what the second coming of Christ means. Yeah, it's the, 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 the Bible's clear. It speaks to the end of, the, of this world. But it's the ushering in of the kingdom of God. Oh, my goodness. Let's, let's allow Mark 13 to help shape our thinking. Now, when it comes to the second coming of Christ, there's a lot of people that have been through history that have tried to say this is when it's going to happen. I think it was 1984. There's a big book written that Jesus is going to come back in, I think, 1984. Well, he didn't come back. And, um, and let's remember that, that Mark, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 um, says, but, but when it comes to that hour, nobody knows. Jesus said, uh, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor, nor the Son, but the Father only. So we need to recognize and understand that if somebody says, this is when Jesus is going to come back, that, that person doesn't know what he's talking about. It, you don't need to follow somebody like that. And so let's understand that. And if I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said that if, if you're going to write a book or make some proclamation on the second coming of Christ and when it is, make sure you're smart enough to put the date after you're dead uh, because that way you don't have to defend it publicly when it doesn't come true. So that's a little piece of advice. Mark 
13 is what we call the Olivet Discourse. So turn there. Turn, turn your Bibles there. And, and as, you, as you think about the Olivet Discourse, you see this recorded in a couple of places. You see it in Matthew 24. You see it in Luke 21. And you see it right here in, in Mark 13. And, 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 and you know, I, I want us to make sure, and as I prayed through this day, that this subject would help us not be paralyzed with fear, but that we'd recognize not, oh no, Christ is coming, but oh my goodness, Christ is coming. Folks, he's coming. And, and, and as we think about this imminent truth, Jesus didn't, didn't just tell us that he was coming, but he prepared us for his coming. Let's not forget this. Let's stand together and look at Mark 13. And we're going we're gonna to kind of hang in this chapter for a bit. Where let's read 1 through 13. Verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be one left here. There will not be left here one stone upon the other that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see, to, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and, and they will lead many astray. And when, when you hear of wars and, and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will be delivered over to death, and brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now in all honesty, Mark 13 is is difficult to interpret because there's a lot of really good scholars that disagree over this passage. You know, when you you break this passage down and understand the Olivet Discourse, there, there are some who interpret this passage as speaking to an event that was near. Um, 
we know from history that in AD 70, uh, the, uh, the temple was destroyed. And that was, I mean, Jesus said right here that these, these stones are going to be tor- torn down. That's what they were looking at is the temple. And there's, there are a lot of scholars who say, you know, this was describing a near event. There are some scholars that go, no, 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 this is describing a far event. This is describing the end of time. And uh, there's a lot of debate on those two, two schools of thought. But, but honestly, when you look at prophecy all through the Scripture, often prophecy describes, a, has a dual meaning. You, you, see, you see many prophecies that speak to a near and a far. I think that's what's going on here. I think what Jesus is doing is, is, is he is speaking of a near event, with, but, but he's also revealing something um, that's foreshadowing of a future event. And, and, and in fact, if you look at the Olivet Discourse, you see 19 commands of how we should think and how we should respond to this revelation that Jesus is going to come back that these things are going to take place. Now, I'm going to kind of uh, encapsulate these 19 commands into three ideas, and I want us to, um, to consider some things. And the first thing, I just, uh, three words I just want to put in our hearts today. And the first word is this. When you look at the Olivet Discourse, we should watch. Let's think about this. Look at verse 1. As he came out of the temple... One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And, and you know, the disciples, they, they draw attention to the beautiful temple. And, and it was beautiful. It was, we're going to be in Jerusalem in a couple of months. And if you ever get a chance to go with us, you ought to go. It's, it's such an incredible experience to see Jerusalem and to see the temple. And, and the temple was miraculous. It was beautiful. And it was these big white stones, and they, were, uh, they had gold around them. And, and it was, when the sun hit it, it was brilliant. It was beautiful. And, and, um, and, and you know, when you, you think about the, uh, the Mount of Olives where Jesus was, it was um, it, it's 2,700 feet above sea level, and, and it's 200 feet. This Mount of Olives is 200 feet above the temple complex. So the disciples were looking down over the temple. And, and then look, look what Peter, James, and John, and Andrew say, that inner circle. Look at verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John privately said, hey, hey, tell us when these things will be. And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say, say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and he will lead many astray. You know what Jesus is telling them? Hey, guys, watch. When we think about the, the second coming of Christ, this is one of the things we are to do. We are to watch. We're to pay attention. We're, we're, and, and the disciples um, were, were curious, and, and they were interested in the end of human history here. And and Jesus tells us over and over again to watch. And, and I think that this is both a, a near and far because I do think that Jesus was speaking to the destru- destruction of the temple in AD 70. But you know what I believe that is? I believe that's a lens that we can see a glimpse, a picture of the end of this world. And the reason I believe that, look at verse 24 in chapter 13. 
Look what Jesus said as he goes on in this, in this Olivet Discourse. He, talks in verse, he says in verse 24, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son, the son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And notice this. This is why when, when I think about the second coming of Christ, let's not miss the fact that, yes, there will be some difficult times in this world, but let's not miss that when Jesus returns, the Son of Man will be coming in the clouds in power and glory. Oh, my goodness. Wouldn't that be incredible to watch? Verse 27, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And you know why I believe this is a, this is a both a, a short-term, a future uh, event that was in the near and, a, and an event that was in the far? Because Jesus points to the fact that there will be people from all the four corners of the earth coming to witness the glory of God. And at this point, Jesus is just in Jerusalem. He was in Israel. But look at what's going on now. I mean, the gospel is all over the world. I mean, I mean um, you know, if you go, you ought to go to the Museum of the Bible someday. What's, what's interesting about the Museum of the Bible is they have this, and if you go, you're, you're going to need a couple of days. I mean, I ran into a lady as they were walking, and they go, yeah, we got a couple of hours. They're like, oh, I'm so sad for you that you only have a couple of hours because you legitimately need a couple of days in that museum, and it'll be worth every second of your time. But there's one of the floors. They have this ending where it shows all the Bible translations and uh, in the, in the languages that have not yet been translated. The Word of God have not yet been translated. And I'll tell you, uh, this passage speaks to that moment, but let's think about it. That Jesus, when he returns, the whole world will watch the glory of God come in the clouds. I'm telling you, that's, I love that song we just sang. Give me Jesus. The world's going to see Jesus in glory and in power. Oh my goodness, what a day that will be. But we're, we're to recognize some things. And let's consider this. When we read this, the world as we know it will certainly come to an end. Let's not miss that. The Bible's very clear. We need to watch because as we look at the world as we know it, it's going to come to an end. But let's understand this. Life will not come to an end. Time will not come to an end. Let's recognize that. You know, I, I, um, I have a doctorate in education, whoop-de-doo. But in my doctorate, in my study of education, you know what I, when I had to, you know, I had to rub shoulders with all these behavioral scientists that wrote about the lifespan of human development. And one of the things I discovered about all these behavioral scientists, these, these great thinkers through history looking at the lifespan of humanity, they had this glaring error in my, in my study because they would start with birth and they would end with death. 
But when I look at my Bible, I recognize that, wait, uh, Psalm 139 talks about that God has a plan before time began of every human being, and then he carefully knits them together in his mother's womb. So, so there's a plan from before time to God knitting them together, and then, then it doesn't end with death. It continues after death. And these very smart behavioral scientists say, well, we, we're scientists. We can't observe those things. Well, look, the Bible reveals these things. So let's recognize that life will not come to an end when this world ends. Life will not come to an end when you draw your last breath. Time won't come to an end because God has prepared us for eternity. And so here's what I pray that we recognize, that God will keep his word. We should expect him to keep his word. Let's recognize these are, these are prophecies. The prophecies of God come to pass. We are to watch out. Look at verse 6. It says, many will come in my name saying I am he. They will lead many astray. You, you know, we got to recognize, we got to watch out. They're false teachers. They're false, um, you know, I, I, I often get phone calls. Of, hey, would I come to this interfaith prayer time? Hey, we're getting all these different faiths together to come pray. And I'm like, no, I ain't going. Now, um, let's recognize what the Bible reveals about God. There's not multiple gods in the world. There's one God. And then there's the enemy who disguises himself in many different forms. So it's God or Satan. And, and I re, I'm respectful about these phone calls, and, and I don't like gripe or yell or anything, but, but, but they're like, hey, we come? No, I'm not coming. Because I ain't going to a meeting where we're praying to Satan disguised with some mask of some other religion. Now, let's keep in mind, we as a believer, as a follower of Christ, as we put God's Word into practice, we have a 1 Peter 3.15 kind of posture that, that we, we deal with outsiders with gentleness and respect, but, but let's be honest about the warning here. Jesus says, there are many that are going to come in my name. There are going to be many people that say, hey, I'm a deity, follow me. But there's one God. We are to watch out. Um, and he says, for nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom, verse, verse 8. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. And I don't know, when I think about this and I read this passage, it feels like I just turned on the evening news right there. As you hear of wars and rumors of wars, as you, have you noticed that we have earthquakes in Oklahoma? Hmm. I would call that various places. Tornadoes maybe, but earthquakes, that's, that, that seems new to me. I don't remember earthquakes in Oklahoma I've lived here a long time. I don't remember that growing up. And, you know, nations will, and kingdoms will fight each other. And, and, and you're going to see this almost daily as, as, as it comes to pass. You know, and I think it's interesting as you see Revelation 6 through 18, this is kind of the picture of the climate of the last days. 
So we got to think right about prophecies, and, and we got to watch out. we got to pay attention, and, and, uh, and this, is, this is really important. Though we see that there will be worldwide trouble, there will be personal trouble that we'll face. But, but let's not forget that, that the kingdom of God is coming. And then this is why we need to watch. And we also, a second word I want in your heart is that we need to prepare. So, so the, when you look at these imperatives or these commands in, in, in the Olivet Discourse, we, we see that we need to watch. We also need to prepare. How do we prepare? Well, we know the word. That's one way we can prepare. This is why I love what we're doing. One of, the, one of the greatest things that we are doing as a church body this year, and this is why we keep encouraging you to jump in with us, one of the greatest things that we're experiencing together is the raw Word of God. And, and I think so often believers don't have a good diet of the raw Word of God. And though, like I even read in Deuteronomy today, if you were with us today, there were many things, that, especially on the on the practices of war, you go, oh man, there's some questions there that come to my mind. But I'll tell you, when we know the word of God, that's part of our preparation, it's critical preparation for us. As we, as we wonder, Lord, will we be the ones that, that see the coming of Christ? And I've thought about that. Lord, will we be the ones that, that watch you come in the clouds in glory and power? I don't know. What if we're the ones to raise the generation that faces this kind of persecution? I, I, I wonder if, Lord, are, are we going to be the ones entrusted to, to face that kind of persecution, to, to, to be a witness? And, and let me not get ahead of myself, but let's, let's recognize what he says, that, that when these trials come, they're the beginning of birth pains. But folks, let's know our Bible. Why should we know our Bible? Oh my goodness, the Bible's divinely inspired. It's divinely inspired by God. I mean, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. When, when you think about the Bible, it's, it's sacred. And Scripture warns its readers not to, not to alter it, not to take away from it. That we're, to, we're to embrace it. We're to, we're to receive it. The Scripture's sacred. It's powerful in its influence. When you think about the power of the Word of God, how God has revealed himself and how, how people have tried to, to stamp out the influence of God's word and God's people and they've just been unable. It's incredible. The, the scripture has been written for a purpose. I mean, oh my goodness, the purpose of God's word is that it, it, it shapes our beliefs. It shapes our practices. And this is why this is a value of our church that we allow God's word to change the way we think and help us think. Because sometimes when I'm by myself, I don't think right. And if I'm left to my own circumstances or my own ideas, I'm just not going to think right. And God's Word helps me think. And this is why we've got to allow it to stand. It's written for a purpose. But you know what else it does? It reveals eternal truth. Folks, one of two things is going to happen. We're going to either see Christ return in the clouds in power and glory. Or there's going to be a moment that we're going to draw our last breath and God's going to call us home. Let me tell you something. Um, one of those two things is going to be our destiny. Some of you know this in my life, but I, I called in hospice for my father this week. And I'm watching my dad 
approach death. But can I tell you there's hope in that? Because I know, because like we just sang, when I come to die, give me Jesus. And Christ has saved him. But folks, let me tell you, the Bible calls us to prepare. I think it's interesting that, that, that Jesus uses the analogy of, of birth pains. And, and we've got to recognize what our Bible says. It feels like when I turn on my news that we're, we're watching the birth pains right in front of us. I don't know when Christ is going to return, but, but I'll tell you, when you know your Bible, it just goes, oh my goodness. Like 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see what this says. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now granted, you could say, well, man, people have always struggled with sin and, and that's probably been true in every generation. Yeah, but have you noticed that we're really perfecting these things in our society, in our culture? And right before our eyes... We've all turned on the news, and if we follow Jesus, go, has, has somebody completely lost their minds with rationality? Folks, I don't know if we're living in, if we're going to be the ones to see the coming of Christ. But what if we're to set such an example of faith and trust and a walk with the Lord that it's our children, our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren that are influenced by our faith so much that they say they'll walk with Jesus. You know, when I think about what Jesus called his disciples to do. He said to watch. He said to prepare. But you know what else he said? He said, trust. Trust. Look at verse 9. It says, be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils and you'll be beaten in the synagogues and you'll stand before governors and, and kings. Notice this. For my sake to bear witness before them. Though I think it's cool that, that we're translating the Bible in, in all kinds of languages, in all kinds of, in every language, every tribe, every tongue. And Revelation 7, 9 points to a, a moment in heaven where every language, every people group will gather around the throne. But let's not miss the fact 
that do you know what God's going to use to really communicate salvation to the world? Persecution. It's the persecution of believers that the world's going to go, that's about Jesus. And there's a trustworthy generation that's in our future, and it may be us, but is so faithful to the Lord that they will stand for Christ no matter what the circumstance. You know, today, I'm being very respectful about this, probably, but it's Time Change Sunday. And you know, a lot of pastors are like, oh man, Time Change Sunday, Sunday people are going to sleep in. Hey, let me tell you something. If we can't get up an hour to get to church, we got bigger problems. Part of me wants to go, give me a break. Look, when I look at standing before persecution and facing this kind of things in the end times, uh, I ain't standing before the Lord in heaven talking to people all through history going, yeah, it was hard for me to get up an hour early for church. I ain't doing that. We got work to do. And, and when I look at this, it just moves me. And I, I think about this, this calling we have and, and this recognition that, that there's going to be a generation that's going to trust the Lord so much that no matter what comes their way, they're going to stand before the Lord and they're going to bear a witness for Christ in the midst of incredible persecution. And notice what he says in verse 10. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Folks, when I look at the climate that we're in, this is the, this is, it's in our day that the, that the entire world can see something all at once. And folks, we're just getting better at that kind of technology. And I think it's interesting that the gospel, Jesus says, must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And notice verse 11, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're to say. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about what you're going to say because, because whatever is given to you in that hour, but so he says, say whatever is given to you in that hour. I think it's interesting that, that you see the power that's going to come upon you. And, and let's not forget at the beginning of Acts, he, the last thing Jesus said before he went to heaven, he says, there's going to be power given to you. The Holy Spirit is going to come and give you power for what? To be witnesses. And this is why we've got to be a, a generation that stops looking at ourselves. And we don't forget the mission that is before us. That we are called to be in the world, to be a mission. And you know what? What I pray we don't do is that we don't build a bubble around us and look at a lost world and say, don't mess us up. But we recognize that we are called to be witnesses to this world. You know, when I look at a lot of believers, especially in the United States, we want to arm ourselves, which I have guns too. I'm not speaking against arming yourself. I like the Second Amendment. Let's not forget with the lost world, we're not fighting them. We're striving to reach them. We're praying for them. We're loving them. We're serving them. And let's not forget that it's the, the witnesses. 
in the end days that the Lord is going to use. And notice this, he's going to give us what we say and what, what to say in that hour, for it is not you who speak. Look at the end of verse 11. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit is going to speak. Oh my goodness. Folks, you see that there will be trouble on a global level here. You, you can't face the end times without recognizing there will be trouble on a global level. You can't read this without recognizing there will be trouble on an individual level. Look at verse 12. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a lot of debate on this passage because you have uh, my, my harder Calvinist friends would, would kind of look at that going, see, you have to endure to the end to, to make sure you're saved. Look, no, you can come to Christ and rest in that, that you're saved. I struggle with my harder Calvinistic friends that, that put those kind of parameters. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit, when he comes in you, he's going to strengthen you all the way to the end. That's what Jesus is saying there. But God's word helps us think. And when it comes to the second coming, trust. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord in what he's bringing to the earth. You know, I'm, I'm thrilled today because my daughter and son-in-law are visiting our church because they're moving to this town. We're, hey, guilt them in to try to join here. I like seeing them, but my granddaughter's in the nursery. How cool is that? But I started this podcast. Emily and I have started this podcast on grief and loss. It's called Time with Giants. You ought to check it out. And I really wrestled with, man, is this worth it? And it is. We just interviewed a guy that's going to come out in a couple weeks. His name's Trey Shaw. He's a missionary in, in Budapest. Trey's writing a dissertation on why Christians should embrace their own mortality. And, and you know, um, he said something so incredibly insightful. He said, death for a believer is not morbid. Death is actually the last step of obedience for a believer. And he said that, um, he goes, Chris, imagine you could have spoken to Conley, your granddaughter, in the womb and said, hey, Conley, your world is about to change. You're, 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 you're going to you're gonna be entering into a whole new world. And imagine if she said, I don't want to go to that world. I like my world. It's warm here. I have all the food I need. I hear my mom's voice. I like it here. I don't want to go to the new world. Oh, but Conley, you do. Do you know what? 
you're going to get to see your mom's face. And, and, and this other voice you're hearing, that his name's Padre, he's so cool, you're going to love him. You're going to absolutely love him. He's going to give you ice cream, a bunch of it, and you're going to love him. You're going to see a sunset. You're going to feel a breeze on your face, and you're going to be able to breathe air. Oh, you're going to enter a new world. So beautiful. You, you know, that's... When Christ comes back, folks... Yes, there's some momentary troubles as the world comes to an end. Though Jesus prepared us for this, but, but let's recognize Jesus is going to come in power and glory. And you know what he's doing? Like he said in John 14, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the Bible speaks of, of the end of this world ushers in the beginning of a new heaven and a new earth. Folks, let's not look at the end, this, this moment of the Olivet Discourse and have dread and fear. No, let's look at this with trust and faith. Now, as Trey and I wrestled through this, we talked about this idea that, you know, when you, you live better, when you recognize that time is limited, that's what I found in my life. You're more focused in your life. You're more attentive in your life. And you know what I pray? That we all recognize that time is limited. That lostness is the world's greatest problem. Lostness was my greatest problem. And you know what I'm, I know I hear people that, that look at this, the Bible in this moment of Jesus saying that, that times are going to come to an end and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of trigger things that people, trigger conversations that people have today and they go, oh, the Bible's so terrible, it triggers my anxiety. Well, okay. Uh, if you're lost without Christ... I'll be honest, you ought to be anxious about this moment. And as a believer, I ought to be anxious about those in my life that don't know Christ. It ought to move me to some urgency and some, and some anxiousness. It's like years ago. You remember when, uh, I think it was 2002, when the bridge got hit by that barge on I-40. Remember that? You know what happened that day? There were some, some people that I was close to that lived in Yukon that died. Car, they, they didn't get the word out. But when that happened, men ran up the banks on both sides of the highway and said, whoa, whoa, stop, stop, the bridge is out, stop. And in minutes, within minutes, they got all the traffic stopped because the bridge was out. And you know, a lot of people look at the Bible and go, you know, the Bible's so cruel and so mean because it talks about these end of the world thing. Well, folks, let me tell you something. For everyone that's lost, the bridge is out. The bridge is out. 
And, and no, none of us as followers of Jesus are, any, are faithful to the Lord. If we keep our mouths shut, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful that God interrupted my life and said, Chris, you're lost. Lostness is my greatest problem. I needed a savior. But Jesus didn't just tell me the bad news. He, he demonstrated the good news. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. That even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so when I look at this Olivet Discourse, and I embrace what Jesus said here, and I recognize that the prophecies are true, that the prophecies of God are true. And he, the Bible has a pretty stellar track record of truth, of prophetic truth. He's actually, it's actually batting a thousand so far. And so when I look at this incredible act of God that is not yet to come. Folks, we need to watch for this. We need to prepare for that. And we need to trust Christ with all of that. Now, as I, as I prayed through this moment, Lord, help us be faithful. Help us have faith. Help us leave here with excitement rather than dread. My, my father-in-law, I don't think he coined this phrase, though I give him credit for it, which is, you know, preachers can make up stuff like that all the time, so that's okay. But he made it famous to me, the great eight. You ever heard of the great eight? Romans eight. Turn there. Turn to Romans eight. Because what I would love to in this moment, to let the raw word of God just stand. Josh, I want you to come on up. And as we move into a time of invitation, let's let the great eight just stand in front of us in verse 22. Romans 8, verse 22, it says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now we're going to have an invitation. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want to give you some instructions. Do not leave this building until you get that straight. You can know that you're saved today. You can know that, that whether you are, you, are, you are called home before Christ returns or Christ returns. But let me tell you something. The Bible's clear. You need to come to faith in Christ before this event happens or before you're called home. So get that straight today. So here's how you can do that. Because we're going to end a little different today. There are people out in the foyer, they're greeters. They've smiled when you walked in, said hi to you. Go to someone at those tables or go to someone out there or come talk to some of our staff members that were around here. I just plead with you, don't leave today before you come to faith in Christ. Let's watch. Let's prepare. And let's trust the Lord. Brad, I've asked to come and end our, and like walk us through an invitation. And so we're going to end a little differently today, but I think it's important. Brad. As we are praying for you that are wrestling with the idea of maybe trusting Christ for the first time in your life, uh, we're also going to be praying for some that are farther away. Uh, this is the joy that we get to be as a body of Christ today. Uh, you're watching about 48 students and parents, uh, or students and adults, who are going to serve as volunteers this week. Come in. They're going to be headed down to Texas, uh, to the border, to the Rio Grande Valley, uh, to Mission, Texas, to serve a local church down there. Um, we're excited that they're going to be able to really put into practice all the work that they've done to prepare. A lot of them have uh, worked out their testimony, written that out, memorized it, and they're ready to share it on a moment's notice to anybody that's willing and ready to receive it. And so uh, as a church, we get to come in behind them and pray for them during this week. They're going to be doing a VBS every night with kids throughout uh, that region, that area. Uh, that church will follow up on salvations and discipleship. They're also going to be painting and doing some light construction. And uh, one of the cool things is they're going to get an opportunity on Monday night to stand before 
100 to 300 students and kids from ages 8 to 18 who are trying to flee their country and come to America and seek asylum. And they're, what, they're, what they're doing is they're trying to seek a better life. And what we're going to tell them is your better life is not necessarily found in America. The only way you're going to find a better life is through Jesus Christ. And so I want you to be praying for our students this week. Pray for boldness. Pray for clarity. Pray for Monday night. So here's what I want you to do. I want to ask you to do this. If you'll set your alarm on your phone, your watch, whatever, we're going to set it for 10 a.m. every morning. And this will help remind you, if you're not parents of these students, parents are going to be praying, right? We're going to be praying for them. But I want our church. So set your alarm, 10 o'clock. You may not know what to pray or how to pray. And we've read some scripture today that says the Spirit really intercedes on our behalf and will take these students and these adults to the throne and really give them the words to say at the right time to see some life change, some supernatural things happen. And so be praying with us uh, every day, 10 o'clock, and especially Monday night as they share the gospel with so many that need it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to come and just gather around some of these students. Go ahead and move this forward. Move forward. If uh, you're here, you know somebody, great. Grab around, uh, circle up around them. If you don't know them, that's totally fine. You can voice a prayer over the entire group. But just come and let's take some time as we close our service. Again, I believe that the message first, though, is if you need Christ today, once you reach out to him today, call out his name and say, save me. I need you, Jesus. And if you need to talk to somebody, we're here for you. But let's take this group to the throne now. Father, thank you so much for these kids, for these adults who have set aside this week in their lives to go and to be used by you. God, we pray for them. We pray for the safety as they travel, as they um, make their way down through Texas. God, even on the trip down there, would you give them divine appointments, whether it's a restaurant, gas station, wherever. Let them be used by you even on the trip down. And Father, we pray in those moments that you've already prepared and you've prepared the ground of so many kids and students and adults' hearts, that you've softened them and, and readied them for the gospel. I pray that you would put those people in front of these students and adults and that you would guide the words that they say at just the right time and that we would see salvations like we've never seen before. God, I pray for boldness. I pray for clarity. I pray for just supernatural movements in, the, in their midst this week. Father, we love you, and we're so grateful that we get to serve you here, there, and everywhere. Thank you for Andrew Wade. Thank you for Keith as putting missions first and foremost in, in our church and our student ministry. God, we ask that you would get glory out of what is done this week, and let's put you on display for the world around us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for praying with us this week. You're dismissed.